If y'all don't mind, I'm going to step out of this jacket. It's getting ready to get hot in here, amen? Amen? amen. All right. All right. Just because you didn't say amen don't mean it ain't going to get hot. Right. It's coming. It's coming. All right. One night, up around midnight, we heard the sirens roar. Everybody in the neighborhood was looking out their door. In their bathrobes and in their curlers, they gathered round to see. The church was glowing up in flames. It burned till way past three. Now the preacher looked around, then he stood up to report. This is the biggest meeting that we've ever had before. Most of you never come to church, and I was wondering why. They looked at him, and all at once they gave the same reply. They said, Preacher, we've never seen the church on fire before. Now that the flames are burning, we've got something to come for. It seems that sometimes folks are trying hard to build the church on programs and promotions and Sometimes it even works. But if you'll listen carefully, a lesson might be learned. That if the church will get on fire, they'll come to watch her burn. Now the preacher learned a lesson. That night the church burned down. He got on fire for Jesus and he prayed revival down. But if you'll... Oh, let's skip one. And the church will never be the same. Because they've caught the fire too. And the folks there in that neighborhood, they've changed their point of view. We've never seen the church on fire before. But now the flames are burning. There's something to come for. From my point of view, the flames at Bethel Baptist Church seem to be burning higher and hotter than any other time since I've been here. And I praise you. I commend you. And I praise the Lord Jesus Christ through you for your sacrifice to make God's plan for sharing literally a defining moment in the history of this church. Your efforts, your hard work with GPS... You're beginning the 2010 Grow Outreach Ministry. The youth and children's ministries that are going wonderfully are changing the point of view of the people in our neighborhood. But, there's always a but. Now the work really begins. The need for revival is greater now than it ever has been. We got revival meetings scheduled for April the 25th through the 28th. But we don't want to have revival meetings without having revival. So how? How do we experience revival? First, I want to settle with you some common misconceptions about revival. Revival is not just three or four nights of meetings here at the church house. Revival is not something that started in one day 
or even in four days. Some people think that revival is adding more to what's already there. Adding more believers. Adding more prayer. Adding more service. More worship. More praise. Adding more thanksgiving. More programs. More ministries. But just adding Christian activity does not bring revival. Revival is not even something that's controlled by man at all. But let me tell you what revival always results in. Revival always results in an intense desire to get your heart right with the one who loves you beyond what you can fathom. Revival always results in a renewed passion to obey God. And revival is always, say always, always. say it again. Always. Revival is always brought on by repentance. Always brought on by God's people turning from their sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah told God's people. He didn't tell the, the people of Judah. He told God's people that your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He no longer hears. You see, we can't add a whole bunch of Jesus without subtracting a whole lot of sin. We can't have a relationship with God and keep on living like the world. We will not experience revival just by having a change in belief. We also got to have a change in behavior. A change in the way we act. To experience the widespread revival that we desire in our community and even in the United States. God's people must repent and be cleansed from their sins. Now I know that this is sensitive territory. And I know that you don't want to hear about your sins just like I didn't want to hear about mine all week long. Amen. But we got to get real. We got to get real with this problem that's common to every one of us. Sin. Sin. You see, until we deal with the sins in our own camp, our efforts to reach people outside the church is kind of like putting a band-aid on a cancer patient. It's just ineffective. We can't expect God to do anything about the sin outside the camp until we deal with the sins inside the camp. The Apostle Peter said, For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. The time has come for judgment to begin with God's own children first. So how in the world are we to deal with this common problem we have? 
How are we to deal with these sins that so easily beset us? There's really only one way. The only way is to be exposed to and then respond to what God says about our specific sins. And we all got them, right? And we all got them, right? I just want to make sure. For God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven. God says, I will forgive their sins. And God says, I will heal their land. But brothers and sisters, Bethel Baptist Church will not experience revival. We will not experience the mighty presence of God and the mighty power of God if we're clinging to our sins. We've got to do something about it. Now today, I'm going to be getting in your business. But actually, it's not me getting in your business. It's the Word of God getting in your business. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be asking ourselves a whole lot of hard questions. We're going to be asking them questions about specific areas that hinder our relationship with God. We're going to be asking God to convict us of our own personal sins. And we're going to be asking God to give us discernment to know how to deal with them. He's faithful to do that. For He tells us, Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them as wool. For thus says the Lord, If you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Drawing near to God. It's what we're here for. And that's what revival is all about. Is drawing near to your Father in heaven. Drawing near to the one who created you to be in a relationship with him. Now how in the world does this all happen? If you will, turn with me to the book of James. And in chapter 4, we're going to get a few glimpses about how this revival can come. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. That's the starting place, amen? Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Get this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Let us pray. Father in heaven, all we can ask this morning is that your word would speak 
to our hearts and cause us to respond in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, let us not approach this cleansing process uh, because we want to be blessed. Let us not approach this cleansing process because we just want the church to grow. Rather, let us do it because God is holy and He deserves your full surrender. Let us do it because you love Jesus and you want to please Him in everything you do. Let us participate in this cleansing process because you've got a genuine desire to worship God with every area of your life. So how do we begin? For Bethel Baptist to experience revival, we must first repent of sins of thought. You see, it ain't an accident that Satan targets your mind with inappropriate and sinful thoughts. He knows that if he can develop a stronghold here, then eventually those thoughts will lead to sin and you will be separated from God. That's all the devil wants. He knows what Jesus did on the cross. He knows that in the end, he's a loser. He knows that in the end, he will be cast down into the lake of fire. So all he's got to do now is do whatever he can do to cause you to be separated from your Father in heaven. That's what he wants to do. So I'm going to ask you some questions. And whatever you do, don't answer them to me. But you let God give you your answer. Do you have nagging doubts in your mind about whether or not you're saved? Christians, do you doubt who you are? In Christ. Do you think that because you mess up, as Brother Allen says, do you think that because you break the commands of God, that you're unacceptable to Him? Do you think that obedience to God's commands is what makes you acceptable? Or do you believe, do you think in your mind that belief in Jesus is what makes you acceptable to God? 1 John 5, 3, the scriptures say this, For this is the love for God. That we obey, say obey. obey, that we obey his commandments. Now the same John said this in his gospel in John 1.12. He said, as many as receive him, talking about Jesus, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. 
So which is it? Obedience that makes you acceptable to God or belief in Jesus that makes you acceptable to God? Let me give you the truth. The truth is this. Belief in Jesus and trust in His sacrifice must come first for you to be acceptable to God. Because you can never be perfect enough to enter God's perfect heaven. However, after you place your trust in Christ and in the sacrifice on the cross, and you need to know then that your love and your appreciation for what He's done will lead you and compel you to obey what He's told you to do. Belief first, obedience will follow. So if you do have doubts in your mind about your salvation, God wants to give you today absolute certainty. God wants to give you absolute confidence and assurance. He don't want you to live another single day in doubt. John wrote, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. So it is belief in Jesus. But we still have this same common problem. This sin, ongoing sin problem. So I'd like to touch on a little nerve for you. Let's carefully, let's honestly reflect on the types of thoughts that are filling your mind. In your mind, is it filled with thoughts of Christ? Or are you consumed with earthly issues? Which is it? Do you think more about work and leisure than you do about spiritual growth and your relationship with God? The way to handle those thoughts is, as Paul said, to cast down arguments and every, say every, and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. To cast it down. To cast down anything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. To take captive, to bring every single thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So who comes first? The world or God? God. Another question. Is your mind filled with lustful, unclean thoughts? Do you have thoughts that you'd be ashamed of if they'd be made public? Do you have wandering eyes We need to remember what Jesus said to his disciples, to the inner circle of his followers. 
He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Who, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her should be killed, stoned, was the legal judgment for adultery because he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does your mind, do your thoughts revolve around people and things more than it does around Jesus? Do you honestly, let's get honest now, do you honestly get more excited about work and about sports and about recreation than you do about doing anything for God's kingdom? Is Jesus Christ a priority? Is he a priority or does he just occupy this little small corner of your life? In Colossians chapter 3, the word of God says, set your minds, set your affections on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Is it your habit? Is it your habit to read and study God's Word every day? That'll get to you every time, won't it? The psalmist wrote this. I will meditate on your word daily and have respect for your ways, O oh Lord. I will delight myself in your principles and I will not forget your word. Are you guilty of seeking God more for what He can give you than for a genuine love for Him? I mean, why are you here, really? Really? James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. You ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. When you come, to worship on Sundays. How is it you come? Do you focus on, on love and reverence for God? Or are you just really seeking His benefits? Do you sing the worship songs. But don't reflect on the words that you're singing? When you come on Sunday mornings. Do you listen to the sermon? Not only words coming out of a preacher's mouth, but listen to the sermon because it's God's instruction on how you should live. Jesus spoke to those 
religious folks. Those hypocritical Pharisees. And he said, yeah, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth. I'm going to the church house. I'm going to church. They draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. Blah, 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 whatever. But their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. In vain they come to church on Sunday. They're just wasting their time because they're not worshiping me. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the finished work of Jesus this morning. We know that we are acceptable to you because of our belief in what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Lord, we turn away from every single doubt that assails us. And Lord, we ask for your help in making a resolution to resolve to take every thought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, we repent. We repent of lustful, unclean thoughts. And Lord, we are determined to set our minds on heavenly things and honor and glorify you, O oh Lord. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for taking your word so lightly. Help us, Lord, to read and to study your wonderful love letter so that we will grow closer to you. Lord, forgive us for the many times that we worship you like a robot with our hearts far from you. Lord, we repent. We repent of careless, half-hearted worship and we desire to draw near to you with all of our hearts. Lord, we love you and desire that our thoughts honor you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. If we're going to draw near to God, if we're going to experience His mighty presence and His mighty power, then we've got to forsake the sins that lurk in our thoughts. But for Bethel Baptist to experience revival, we must also repent of sins of attitude. You see, God closely examines our lives, but He doesn't only look at the outward actions, He also looks at what's going on inside. He also looks at the attitudes in which we do things. How many of you know that how you say something is just as important as what you say? Amen? God deeply focuses on the attitudes in our hearts. With these questions, I pray that you'll ask God to reveal to you what's really in your heart. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was again speaking to some church folks. And he said, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. So then because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Can I tell you that a complacent, 
careless attitude truly nauseates God? And the reason is, is because the root of all sin is a lack of love. And that's what a complacent, careless attitude demonstrates, is a lack of love for Jesus. So let me ask you, is God, is your service to Him a burning priority in your life? On a scale of 1 to 10, One being, I don't care. And ten being, they ain't nobody else but you, Lord. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your passion for Jesus Christ? An attitude of pride is also something that will keep us from drawing near to God. Now, an attitude of pride is sometimes so subtle that we can overlook it. See, the worst form of pride thinks, Brother Bill, I don't need to be cleansed. Brother Bill, I don't need to repent. That's one of the attitudes I'm talking about. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 51. In Psalm 51, we find a psalm that King David wrote. And King David wrote this psalm after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. After he killed Bathsheba's husband. After his trusted prophet Nathan brought this to light, that he was one more kind of sinner. Now David was a man known as a man after God's own heart. Yet he committed these sins. And this psalm, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, we're going to skip around a little bit, but this, this psalm, is his response to being convicted of sin. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. This man of God said this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy 
of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering for the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The man of God, the man after God's own heart, speaking these words about his sin. What was he doing? He was repenting. He was turning away from his sins. Asking God to cleanse him. And that's what we're doing today. So do you think you're pretty spiritual? Do you think you're a woman of God? Do you think you're a woman after God's own heart? A man after God's own heart? Do you think you're pretty spiritual, do you? Well, how often do you judge other people? How often do you criticize other people? Are you broken over your own sins? When was the last time you looked at the woman in the mirror? When was the last time you looked at the man in the mirror and said, You sinner! You got, you got problems. You need to be cleansed from your sins. We all need to do that from time to time. You know, God hates all forms of arrogance. And all forms of self-exaltation. So are you one of those that likes to draw attention to himself or herself? Are you one of those people that thinks mostly in terms of your own needs? Thinks mostly in terms of your own desires? Well, the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing, say nothing, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. But of all the attitudes that we need to repent of, the attitude of unbelief is one of the most deadly. The attitude of unbelief is one of the most deadly that a believer can commit. Because unbelief short-circuit the work of God through that person. Unbelief short-circuits the work of God through that person even in the midst of the church. So, do you tend to worry and fret all the time? Do you tend to worry and fret rather than trusting God? Have you excused this sin of unbelief by just saying, Oh, Brother Bill, I'm just a born worrier. Anybody ever said that in here? Raise your hand. I'm just a born worrier. I've said it too. Do you refuse to explore your doubts, however? Refuse to explore your doubts and then turn them into faith? Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Oh Lord our God, as you examine our lives, please forgive us 
for the poor attitudes that lurk in our minds. Lord, we repent. We repent of any careless attitudes that we may have toward your kingdom work. Help us, O oh Lord, to repent of prideful attitudes that hinder you from using us, that hinder you from using us the way you desire. Help us, Lord, to think of others before ourselves. Help us, Lord, to forsake this sin of unbelief when you have proven yourself over and over again. Lord, help us to change. Help us to turn from our doubts. Help us to cling to your promises. For you have been and you always will be so faithful to your own. Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. To draw near to God, to experience the mighty presence and power of God, we got to turn away. Turn away from the sin in our heart that lurk in our attitudes. But finally, for Bethel Baptist Church to experience revival, we must also repent of the sins in our speech. You know, God places an enormous importance on the words we use. In Matthew chapter 12, and if you don't get anything else I say today, you make sure you get this scripture. For the Lord Jesus said, I say to you that for every, say every, that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. Whew. Think of some of the words that I've said. And to know that I'm going to hear them again, standing in front of my Lord. Not to be judged because He died even for those words that I used. But to know that I'm going to hear them again breaks my heart. But it also encourages me to quit it. So do you ever speak slang words that are crude and inappropriate? Do you ever use God's name in any way other than worship, honor, and praise? Have you spread that nasty joke recently? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So do you ever lie? Ever exaggerate to make yourself look better? Ever tell a half-truth? Are you guilty of any kind of cheating? 
any kind of cheating? Who knows what Thursday is? Say it if you know it. Tax day. Tax day. Are you completely forthcoming and honest on April 15th? Is your word your bond or are you really kind of unreliable? Colossians chapter 3 tells us don't lie. Don't lie to one another since you have put off that old man and his deeds. Sins of speech. How many of you know that it is impossible to be a complainer and live in the power of the Spirit of God? Do you often gripe and complain about the situations in your life? Do you fail to give God thanks for everything? Or do you kind of excuse your grumbling by saying, well, Brother Bill, I got good reason to complain. Thank you very much. First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, let us not murmur nor complain as some also murmured and were destroyed. What Paul is talking about is an Old Testament story there where one day the Israelites were whining and griping and complaining over and over and over again. And you know what God did? He wiped out 23,000 of them because of their incessant complaining. He said, if you don't like it down there, then maybe you need to just quit your life down there and come on up. So if you'd like to end your life down here, then maybe you need to be complaining. Amen? I'm only kidding. No complaining. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, Forgive us for every idle word that proceeds out of our mouth. Father, forgive us for every idle word we've ever spoken. We repent of the sin of using words to fit in. Lord, we repent of the sin of using words to make ourselves look better. Lord, we repent of the sin of using words to gripe and complain about our circumstances. Lord, help us to always use our words in a way that encourages, that edifies, that builds up and gives thanks to you. Lord, forgive us for the times that we hurt people with our words. These requests we make in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, if we desire revival, and I pray that you do desire the mighty presence and power of God in our midst, if we desire revival, then we got to remember it's not just about what we can add, it's about what we can subtract.
the substance of our faith is measurable. It's measurable in many ways. And while works can never save me, my salvation does change me. The Lord desires that we demonstrate a life of true repentance. To draw near to God, we've got to repent of those sins of thought, those sins of speech, those sins of poor attitude. And then He promises, if you'll draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not absolutely assured and confident that your eternal place after this life is heaven, then you need to do about that, something about that today. Today is the day to settle those doubts. Today is the day of repentance. After I pray and we sing this song of invitation, of decision, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus if you've never have. But I also want to encourage you to be in prayer, repenting of those sins of thought and of attitude and of speech. And ask God to speak to you about how you can draw near to Him. The altar will be open. And I'd be honored to, to pray with you about anything that God's placed on your heart. But I want you to remember this. In James chapter 4. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep over your sins. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom over your sins. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. Let's pray. Father God, your word has penetrated to the bone this morning. And Lord, it's never comfortable talking about the ways that we fail you. No one is exempt, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus, if there is one here that has never received the forgiveness that you've offered through Jesus Christ... That they would step up, step out, step forward, and just allow me to show them in the Word of God how they can know and be assured that they too are saved. Father, if there's sins to turn away from, Father, I pray that this altar will be filled. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and show us how we must deal with the sin in our life. Because we desire your presence, we desire your power, and we desire revival here.
Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you love us like you do. And that your love is complete. That your love never fails. And that, Lord, you desire to give us more of yourself. More fellowship with you. Lord, we accept it in the way you've given it. And ask you to bless this time of decision now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand. All soul are you wearied and troubled No light in the darkness you see There's light for a look at the Savior And light for abundant and free Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life Everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn Things of earth.